What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey everybody, it is Brian. Quick pre-show note here because... You'll remember I tried to use my work computer to record. Last week's show had an insane amount of issues, mostly with the computer crashing 20 times during the show recording. This time, I tried again, because I figured I'm going to try to make this computer work. It's much easier for me to use than my laptop. It's sitting on a desk right next to the microphone. What could be easier? And plus, it's a faster computer. It should work better. More sound. Better sound for my people out there. And what happens is I triple-check the microphone before the episode recording, and I'm trying to record with uh, our conferencing software we use for my guest today, Laura Crawford. I triple-check the mic settings. I test the mic settings. All is well. Record the episode. And then, of course, I go to play it back, and the goddamn thing hasn't used the mic once. So it's computer audio, meaning that it's going to be a little bit echoey. It's going to be cavernous sounding. It's not going to be the beautiful melodic tones that you are used to. So you have my sincerest apologies for the quality of the show. It is listenable, though. So please do listen to it. I promise you, you can get through it. And not only for me, but for my guest, Laura. So let's kick it. All right. Hey, out there, my beautiful. Well, I don't know if you're beautiful or not, but you listen to this show. So you must be at least mildly attractive. But welcome, mildly attractive listeners. To Electric Liberty Land, episode number 85, in which I welcome in a very special guest, a uh, comedian, friend of mine. I have performed with her. I have a recorded podcast with her before. She mm-hmm. is the co-host of Up Close and Political, which is the podcast I was on, and also is the media manager for Profiles and Eccentricity on the Up Pops Network. Laura Crawford. What's happening, Laura? Hello. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, it's a joy and a pleasure. I mean, maybe I'm speaking too soon, but I'm going to presume it's going to be a joy and a pleasure. Always a delight. Coming at you from Revelations Production, my oh. job office. Yes. <laughs> the conference yeah. room, beautiful. That's, yeah, it's very white in there. It's um, nondescript. Are the walls the kind you could draw on? That's my big question. No, they are not. This is just oh. like cells where we're kept to do work. <laughs> <laughs> so like go in the go in the cog machine cogs where there's mm-hmm. no no visual stimulus for you whatsoever. <laughs> Actually, today was wild because we had both free pizza and puppies in the office today. Oh wow! <laughs> so were they on the pizza? Was that a topping that was requested? Yeah, yeah, they were. No, they were one of the people in my office. I think they got some dogs were under their house or something. So they were in these little teeny puppies. And they were just like. They just found a like a gaggle of dogs just living under the house. Someone I think had dropped like a box of dogs. Abandoned it. Oh man, that sucks. That kind of reminds me though, like when I was growing up, I uh, my family just got a box of well, not a box of squirrels. They were a nest of squirrels. The mom had oh. died, and the uh, the mom had died like in our our whatever heating duct. So it smelled like squirrels on fire. And we were like, well, that's oh. good. But then my dad goes in the attic and he opens the attic door and just five baby squirrels fall down and we ended up raising the whole thing. Yeah, 
it was adorable. They'd go, they'd climb all over you. We'd open the door. They'd run out and climb up the trees. They'd oh. come on your shoulder. And then one day, they just never came back. And we went, okay, time to be free has come, little squirrels. <laughs> it's adorable. It's the season turn, turn. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me, tell me a little bit about, you know, we were on the podcast uh, before yeah. I was on episode six of Up Close and Personal. And, yeah. you know, I had the feeling from, from that podcast when we were talking that you were not the classic Los Angeles progressive. Uh, I know you're not from L.A. or your Massachusetts yeah. gal. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and you're telling me that you've been moving around uh, the last couple of years. You moved a bunch as well. So you've been getting a, a good part, <laughs> a good uh, glimpse of the country. But yeah. will, tell me a little bit about your politics. I mean, what do you... You know, how do they evolve? What do you view yourself as now? And then we'll uh, we'll start chatting about some some current events. Yeah. Well, it's been interesting because it's like, you're not the only person. I've talked to people in LA comedy who I get these messages and it's like, we're gay guys in the fifties. <laughs> They're like, Hey, yeah, I noticed you seem to have a, a predilection for this. You seem to be of the lifestyle. Uh, <laughs> totally. It's like, yeah, we need like secret handshake yeah. clubs. My, my wife was saying the same thing, like universal music group, this, you know, people are like, Hey, you, I think like you think, you know, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I got the, uh, yeah, the handkerchief codes. Like, <laughs> right lapel means you're into Pappy Cannon. Left lapel <laughs> means you like piss games, whatever. <laughs> you know? And sometimes the two. You just <laughs> and sometimes the two. Yeah. There's that guy. So, yeah, um, I, yeah, I grew up in Massachusetts where, um, you know, he has that reputation as being very liberal. Yeah, right. Very, very, very liberal. And um, my family was never political or never really involved in politics. So they weren't really about that. Um, but through school, it seemed like you, if you were like intelligent, you get reputation for being like, you know, liberal. Or my mother would say, you know, oh, you turned your high school newspaper into a liberal propaganda rag. <laughs> Things like that. But, um, but, you know, it's like when I was a young person, you know, it was Bill Clinton the president forever and that sort of like being a democrat at that time was just sort of you know normal mainstream not really like either extremes of stuff like that and uh i worked for the massachusetts service alliance which is part of the governor's office so mitt romney was the governor at the time and then you know when i was in college i worked for them and i worked for i worked for a um or for a number of nonprofits, and i worked for one that was about uh, trying to keep gay marriage legal because Massachusetts was the first state where we legalized it. And uh, so I was working for a lot of uh, liberal causes in that sense. And, um, you know, my school experience, I was part of the Gay Straight Alliance. was a big thing. And uh, this is back when you're you just... you got to have your causes. I mean, if nothing else, to meet people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. you're playing I mean, both sides of the field. you got the gays, you got the straights. Yeah. Pick your platter. It's like a, uh, like a C's candy <laughs> box of just everything. A little nugget, yeah. a little chocolate. I got. <laughs> oh no, no, it's okay. I was just thinking about that because we used to get uh, Krispy Kreme donuts at our meetings and try to get people to come to them and be like, "Wait, <laughs> that was the big donut. Donut. Ne- Never mind, donut. never mind. People getting along and having a dialogue, but donuts. Get over it. That's why you have people in the door. Okay, we have a whole like farmer school industry that's run by reps who just give doctors pizza and pens. So if you don't think it works. <laughs> You're the fool. Um, <laughs> but we were just joking about, like, yeah, the gays are trying to recruit with sugar and fat, um, <laughs> which is usually not what they do. So we, I was, you know, heavily into that and then, you know, working in politics and sort of like the given was mm-hmm. that you were, you know, pretty pretty liberal that was progressive it's actually kind of funny that the word progressive just gets put with the left and it's like that's yeah. not fair is it no, it's, well, you know, it's weird to say, oh, it's so funny because people are going you know saying well you can't say the left are liberals because that's 
especially with libertarian socials because they go, you know, liberal comes from liberty. And we, we don't want to say that they're all for liberty because they're trying to be authoritarian in so many different ways. And so they yeah. still say, okay, well, we'll call them, we'll say progressive. But yeah, progressive means absolutely nothing. It's a subjective term anyway. And you're progressing towards what, you know? Like yeah. All right, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's a weird, it's very, these very loaded terms. So then when I was in college, I studied, uh, in addition to studying writing and everything like that, I studied a lot of political communications. And it's kind of an interesting thing because it is actually more of a neutral look at politics than, you know, people were really used to. I think they kind of assume that if you're studying politics, you must be studying it from a certain bent. But if you're just studying communication, you're literally just studying how well do these people talk? Not, it doesn't matter what they say. How good are they at talking? Yeah. And when you do that, it's like you become, you know, Peggy Noonan and, you know, Ronald Reagan, Morning in America. You look at things like that and you're like, God, that is just powerful. It's just, mm-hmm. it's effective. And so you're really studying what is effective versus what is ineffective. Here's a quick, quick side tangent question for you because, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Adolf Hitler, one of the greatest monsters in history, without a doubt, was a fantastic communicator. The guy really, he had that, you know, he was like, if you want to look at the way to convince people any sort of crazy shit, you look at Hitler like to see the way he's talking. So do they actually talk about Hitler and use him as a, as an example, or are they like, this is the third rail, we're going to stay away from the Hitler thing, as effective as he might have been, it's a little too far. Yeah. Well, we were more talking about stuff that came about after, you know, like TV and radio. It was okay, yeah, yeah. like a major American thing. So okay. not much about Hitler in particular. What's funny is the more I look at World War II, the more you see stuff like, I think the only time the Japanese had people had heard the emperor speak was when he said that they were surrendering. Wow. That's a nice like wake up call. Yeah. That's like never speaking to your wife until she's like, I'm cheating on you and I'm taking the kids. Like, oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. So it's interesting because a lot of people talk more. Exactly. A lot of political leaders, people didn't even know how they sounded, would have no idea, no frame of reference. Uh, so, yeah, on that bent. And then um, I don't really know what happened with the world, but it seemed like, you know, you get older and stuff and, you know, live in different states in North Carolina, I live in Washington. Mm-hmm. You sort of like, you start to, if you don't accept things as a given, if you start to ask people why they think this or why they think that, or um, you look at people who are more on the point of logic, rationality, numbers to back things up. Right. Rather than just base it on pure emotional reaction or. Or what seems to be true. Yeah. Or what seems to be true or what they've been told is true or what seems like the right thing. Or if you just, if you stop going based on that, you're going to come up with some ideas that people will think are conservative, libertarian. They're not going to always, it's not going to always shake out to that. It's like, you know, when you take those tests that are like what INTJ, those Myers-Briggs tests, Mm. you know, when they're like, oh, you're an introverted, rational, whatever it is. I don't know. And and a lot of libertarians, they say, are like a a logic based and don't have as much empathy because a lot of our audience is libertarian. And it's interesting. We talk about communications as well, how these things, it's a, it's a real hindrance in a way to a lot of pushing, pushing forward libertarian slash conservative thought because people do say, oh, you've got no empathy. You've got no, you know, feeling for these people. And you go, that's not necessarily true, but you know, it's just more logic thinking it through. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is how effective is empathy? Is empathy always the right answer? Mm -hmm. And is the golden rule always the right answer? Is that always right? And there are plenty of examples in life where we can find where being sympathetic, being empathetic, 
feeling for people. It can hold you back. It can be an impediment. It can oh, be yeah. bad. Thing, oh, you know? God, watch like, the show Intervention, for Christ's sake. Exactly. I was just you see about the dangers like, of empathy right there, where it's just, you know, it's a, where, mm-hmm. where do you draw the line between empathy and then becoming enabling? You know, and it's the same thing plays out with interpersonal mm-hmm. relationships through to government relationships with citizens. Yeah. I mean, how do you encourage or discourage? What, how do you incentivize or de-incentivize behaviors? Mm-hmm. How do you get people to act the way that you want them to? And, and I think, is it even right to get them to act that way? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Should you even want to give? I just take it as a given. I'm like, we want to control people, right? <laughs> well, we under the right way. I know. I do. That's why I started this podcast. But, yeah. yeah, I want to control people. <laughs> so, but yeah. And then also it's like... Um, I think the more I got into, the more I got into talking to people, the more I got to look at stuff to do with history and uh, early man, science, biology, all this stuff that doesn't all add up to yeah. a lot of people. And then I think also the focus of um, the left seemed to shift in what their priorities were mm-hmm. and what they thought was the most important things that they wanted to have conversations about or the kind of language that you were allowed to use or the kind of sources that you were allowed to use when talking about things. Those things changed. They did yeah. not stay the same. So I found myself more on the outs. And then also I think as a, the more you do comedy, I think you also approach talking to people about things from the perspective of you want to make people laugh and oftentimes making people laugh is saying the worst thing you can think of <laughs> because that's defying expectations. Humor is all about subverting expectations. That's why something is funny because your brain was expecting one thing, you were given another. So when talking about politics, it's often funny to say to people the worst thing you can think of that they don't want to hear or that they're not expecting <laughs> to hear. And that might be something that they're like, oh no, we don't think like that. That's that's to the right or that's libertarian or whatever yeah. that's foreboding thinking whatever you have knowledge or perspective or opinions that are foreboding it becomes funnier yeah well i agree with you completely <laughs> but, but like you're saying you know there's so much emphasis now on this kind of uh language control mm-hmm. uh thought control in a lot of ways because people are stopping themselves from even thinking or going down that road especially comedians too who say well i can't say that now because god knows you know, i might lose my career you know we look at james gunn's old tweets and actually takes us into it's a good segue into one of the topics I want to talk about today, which is it an Africa thing. Yeah, I, 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 am, <laughs> I should giggle and cut you off. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. Yeah, so I, to, to, for those of you who haven't heard about this yet, Vincent D'Onofrio, who is an actor I, I like, um, but I, yeah, I think he's a pretty progressive guy. The Dick Wolf, the, he was on the Law and Order. Yeah, Law and Order. He was in the, that old movie, uh, The Cell, with, with Jennifer Lopez back in her heyday, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been in a lot of interesting roles. He was a lawnmower man, if I really want to date myself. Yeah, <laughs> he was the, He was the retarded uh, guy who became the lawnmower man. No, he wasn't. Yeah, he totally was. No, that's not with Sinafrio. That guy was way hungrier. No, I'm telling you. Okay, now, now I have to Google it in real time. Vincent Ofrio, lawn mower. Nope. Man. Hold you on. might be thinking of the ready man. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. I'm tell- no, I'm telling you, man. It's not. It's- and that's also based on a Stephen King book, and the plot's totally different. Pierce Brosnan's in that movie, though, right? He plays an evil scientist. God, I don't, I'm not sure. Oh, I can't find it out. Well, it's, I, does, I think he plays a, a powerful man of uh, diminished intelligence in another movie, but not that one. I don't know. Well... <laughs> I will, we'll get to the bottom of this. Maybe not during this podcast. Well, you but. were wrong, and then you're like, oh, wait, we have no answer. We don't know. Well, at worst, <laughs> worst case scenario, I rewatch the movie, which I love. It'll be fine. Get some bad <laughs> but, but so, so Vincent D'Onofrio, he goes on Twitter, and he asked, basically asks his followers, he goes, hey, is it okay 
if I play a racist. And I'll read you the exact tweet. It was, I am going to ask a question to everyone that cares to answer. I have an opinion which I which will I will not reveal, pardon me. Is now the right time, considering the world in which we live right now, for me to play a real two-life character who is irredeemable. His his goddamn bad grammar is messing me up, so I want to correct it as I'm reading it. For me to play a real-life character who is irredeemable racist in a dramatic series. That is sick, as they would write. Uh, so basically saying, is it okay for me to play a racist? And, you know, I, I want to hear your opinion on it, but before that, I will give you a clue as to mine, in which Leonardo DiCaprio is an unabashed, you know, he's a, a, a tree hugger, He's an eco-naut. He's a, uh, an ultra, ultra an eco-naut. Sounds like a weird <laughs> cosmonaut. He's an astronaut, a cosmonaut. Because just an astronaut, astronaut that lives in the trees with a helmet. Because but, you know, he yeah. played that horrible racist character, though, in... Um, Blood Diamond? No. No, not Blood Diamond. Oh, well, he was I, horrible I, in Blood I, Diamond, too. Django Unchained. Django Unchained. Thank you. Where it was, I mean, he was the worst of the worst, and he it said was he couldn't do it. He said he had like a hard time with it. But he did it, and I and I applauded the living shit out of him because I said, you know what, that is so admirable for to have the balls to do it, knowing that some people are going to be like, oh, that Leonardo DiCaprio, but he still did it. And now you see yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio saying, well, should I do this? Because the world has lost its collective mind in a lot of ways. Well, anyway, I don't, I, I don't want to take away any talk. So let me let me hear from mm-hmm. you first, and then I'll. I'll add on. So what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually was an actor for an age, did a lot of acting, a lot of theater theaters of like 8 to 18. And then when I got to be 18, I didn't want to audition (laughs) as an adult. (laughs) Um, I did not want to have my creative output be controlled about whether a man thought I was fuckable or not. Because I was like, oh, that sounds horrible, right? Like you... Unless you, know, you want to get ahead. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know um, it's like, do I want to pay my bills based on whether you think I'm attractive or not? Yeah. Like, really scary. <laughs> not fun. And horrible. So mm-hmm. but it's, it's bizarre to me because it's like the whole point. I almost understand in a sense what he's saying. It's not so far off that I'm like, this guy is bonkers. I don't know what the hell he's saying. Because okay, if you look at the series like Mad Men, a lot of people were looking at Don Draper and they're like, that guy is sexist in the show, like very sexist in the things that are bordering on sexual assaults and harassment or everything. But people found him to be so admirable in so many other ways that they almost sort of started to valorize him as this man's man or they're like, oh, this is a real man. And so many women found that character attractive. Mm-hmm. It became like, is this bad? Because this is yeah. you know, promoting this behavior. And it's just, it's bizarre to me because it's like he's saying, I worry that people would not be able to separate fact from fiction and they wouldn't be able to separate me from, is he saying, I'm worried that people will think that I'm a racist if I play this character? I or he's saying, could we not depict racists? Well, that's the question. And and there's two, <laughs> so there's a couple of different things that you mentioned no. that I wanted to, uh, to play off there because it was interesting with the Don Draper character like you said there's there's a character who is without a doubt flawed and exposing those flaws and and creating characters like Archie Bunker you know when you got when you have characters that are flawed but you can show different sides of flawed people or uh, or you or you could use it to expose a uh, a flaw of somebody and and kind of shine light on that character for all to see by virtue of a tv Mm -hmm. series uh, you know, that's a good thing. And at the same time, though, we were talking about some women were attracted to that man. 
you know, a lot of that, it, it plays into a lot of the concepts going on right now with what's happening in the workplace with the whole Me Too movement, where you go, okay, some of these things are definitely heinous and horrible, but some of them, you say subjectively, it's very hard to say, okay, well, you're definitively wrong because you do have people which are attracted to a certain type of man or have a certain type of preference for what does in fact turn them on. And like the Don Draper's an example. Some women are saying, wow, I like a man who takes charge, who is this type of person. And, you know, when you get into, you know, that's where I, I object to any sort of thing that would say we have to categorize one class of people as wrong if they exhibit this behavior necessarily when you do have, you know, it, it takes all kinds, as they say. Um, you know, I'm not saying that you should be able to go around whipping your dick out and peeing on people because people into that too, but yeah. you know what I'm saying, where it's, it's a nuanced sure. world. And, I, and, and that's one of the things. But then when you talk about whether or not D'Onofrio is saying, can I, you know, should we have racists? That's what really makes me afraid is that if we got a situation in a world wherein people are going to object to these characters, which can yeah. show so much and can illuminate or can educate or can even show, you know, uh, like I was saying earlier, a different side to somebody where maybe they are an unabashed racist in one way, but they, you can see why on the other side, you know, having characters have nuance, not only better entertainment, um, mm-hmm. but better education. So it, I'm really afraid of what can happen to art and how yeah. this is going to turn into censorship where we're going to have vanilla characters marching along like fucking gingerbread. Yeah. It's also funny to me because it's like I work in a lot of archival film and everything like that. And, um, Oh, you're going through and counting how many times Burt Reynolds slapped a woman in every movie he's in? Because it's fucking nuts. Every goddamn movie, I should not. It's crazy. crazy. There's a lot of women hitting. But, um, yeah, no, it's bizarre because it's like, for the most part, there are examples of racism and stuff, but usually the racism in things from the 50s and 40s and 30s and 20s even is, a lot of the time, it's sort of just implicit. Like, the presentation that makes us slightly uncomfortable, it's usually not incredibly overt. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it is, it's often for humor. Um, uh, but yeah. there was horrible things going on, violent, horrible things, and they weren't depicted on screen. But because they weren't depicted on screen, that doesn't mean they didn't happen. So it's kind of like, it's an odd thing where it's like, there is lots of violence against women and we never talked about it in the media, but it still occurred. So the argument that presenting in the media will make it happen more, I don't know if I agree with that. But then by the same token, I look at something like uh, the rap music that came about in the 90s. And are you going to tell me that there was nobody who ever went into drug dealing or no one who ever shot somebody because yeah. they heard albums about it? Are you going to tell yeah. me that that well, never happened? Right, and pushing the culture, of, the culture of violence, the culture of misogyny, et cetera. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt. I mean, it's going to... Yeah. If that's yeah. the prominent thing, it's going to influence culture. What you think is acceptable speech. And then, truthfully, a lot of that audience was white teenagers. And, you know, right, but, yeah. like we did develop a culture. We had a word for it, which was wiggas. You would mm-hmm. say, oh, that guy's a wigger. <laughs> like, what does that mean? And yeah. it's like, trying to adopt such and such a culture. And I understand the point they're trying to make, which is that was that was a real part of life. Mm-hmm. Crime and drugs and misogyny and sexism. Those were all real parts of life. And they weren't admirable, but they were ed- put in entertainment as admirable. And people did admire it. Like, people yeah. like, People started to think of that as normal, acceptable, cool, admirable, something to shoot for. And it wasn't just overrepresenting reality. It transcended that to be, we're making the reality. And I think if you're worried about that coming up, it is well, kind of possible. Well, that, here's the thing, though. is that But if there's a character, yeah, like there's characters like in Breaking Bad, I mean, mm-hmm. where that character, do you know how many people, how much like more interest people knew about meth from watching that oh, show? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Well, well, going back to the winners thing, though, it's interesting. So you bring that up. 
And, uh, and that's a good point. You know, there was this culture, a, a culture that rose up from that, but in a way, I guess it's good because you had, you had the, the rap, you had the massage, you had this culture rise up, but then like anything, and this is why I, you know, I encourage all of these, I encourage free speech because when you have free speech, you have things rise up, they, they're in the public eye, and then you can summarily judge them and make, make sure, make people aware of just how dumb they are. And the wingers yeah. movement died out, I think, within maybe like five, 10 years, you know, people were like, this is pretty fucking dumb. And they're like, yeah, you know, I should probably pull my pants up and uh, start acting like a normal human being and not like a, a jerk off. That's and not calling, not, not referring to every woman as a bitch or a hoe. Right. You know, yeah, you know, it's like exposed and, and, and pretty quickly, I think you weed out that those people or you, sh- you know, they are shamed by the society at large into dropping that. Meanwhile, if you are, you know, if it's quashed, then who knows what's happening in the, in the dark corners of the internet. And that, and that actually segues into our next topic, which yeah. is the Unite the Right rally. So let me take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back with more Laura Crawford right after these. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. But I like the physical object. Yeah, oh, totally. Me too. I want a stuffed animal in my face. That's what people want. I want them to sleep with it. Ah, what are those those like doll guys? Oh, the, the wrestlers? Oh, what are the Japanese? No, no, no. I'm thinking of the '80s, the dolls that were the wrestlers that had the. Oh big, yeah, yeah, yeah. My buddies. I'm thinking of that a different guy. Yeah, yeah, you could like you could like slam them and yeah. stuff. It's like you as a cabbage patch doll or something <laughs> with very long arms. That'd be awesome, and people could finally punch me in the face. Which Actually, I know they wanted it. What you can do, what a lot of people do, is they take Barbies and stuff, and you can wipe the face off with like nail polish remover and repaint it. I think you could take a Ken doll, wipe the face off, <laughs> color its hair over so it's bald. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. I'm going to use this as a cold open, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I never do cold opens for my show, but that's what I'm going to use. You'd be like, yes. And that's me. You'd be like, I do have no dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? critics are correct. Thank God. Well, Technology. You have no balls. That's what they call me the $6 million six-inch man. Brand new metal dick. All right. You ready to do this? Ready to roll back in? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Terrible. <laughs> All right. We are back with Electric Liberty Land, episode 85. Now, I didn't remind you at the top of the show, but I, I do want to remind you, if you want any of the show links, if you want to uh, to get a link to any of the podcasts that Laura is on, Laura Crawford, my guest, just go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL85. And uh, so, I, like I left off, I want to talk to you about the Unite the Right rally, because we're talking about Groups of people, they were, the yeah. last group we talked about were the uh, the mighty, mighty wiggers of the 90s, uh, maybe 2000s. Yeah. And now, though, we've got Jane the... Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, Jamie Kennedy. Oh, God, Jamie Kennedy. who's most wanted. By the way, Jamie Kennedy's story, 
Uh, he's a Philly guy, and uh, he is a complete unabashed psychopath when at the bar. And he doesn't even drink, I don't think. He came to no, he him. does. <laughs> maybe he does. Yeah, maybe he does. But as for I was watching the Phillies game with him, and he was like screaming at the guy across the bar, like you would not fucking believe. And I was just like, "Oh, Jamie, roll." Oh. <laughs> anyway, so oh my god, yeah, was, factor, yeah, <laughs> <All right. laughs> exposing him. Um, so this unite the right rally happened, and everybody remembers the first one where it was Charlottesville, and it was a mess, and it was just violence and horribleness, and everything Everyone got killed. Yeah, yeah, like so, you know, people got run over, and Euro style. <laughs> That's what I think of it. UK style. I got hit by a van. Word to your mother. That's terrible. terrible. You are terrible. Someone died. I'm going to bleep this. I'm going to bleep all of it. You're going to lose your job. What was the company name again? Let me write down. Um, So this this recently happened. the news. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be on the next guest on Tucker Carlson tonight. I wish. Um, Does he still have a show? I don't even know who they have anymore. Tucker Carlson? Oh, yeah. Tucker's... I only watch that show when I'm at the gym, basically. I I don't really watch any... I don't watch any news shows in general. But um, if I was watching Tucker's the one, I probably would watch. I'm not going to say that I love their messaging or whatever. Fox just makes better TV. Sorry, they do. They know how to sell it, yeah. Although The Simpsons needs to be canceled, finally, mercifully. (sighs) Oh, I just talk about Fox News. They just make better news. Like, I just try to watch it, like, just... The graphics and stuff like that, what they're doing with it, CNN, it's just not as good. I don't know what they're doing, but sorry, Ted. Sorry, Ted Turner. Oh, I'm going to close my screen. Yeah. So oh. that article, one of the articles I read, it was just hilarious because they're just like, well, the, the right hasn't been very organized. They haven't been very successful in the United States. And it's yeah. like, they got a president elected. What are you talking about? It's like they're doing all right. <laughs> Um, they don't really know what they're doing. Uh, they can just control most of the government, but they're like totes disorganized. And it's like, are they? Because they seem to control everything. Well, you know, like, people who are being like, um, the Jews, they're kind of disorganized. They run everything. <laughs> They've got all the banks. They've all the terror. Well, it's like, it's, uh, I expect they're, they're, gold, they're going to blame it on chaos theory. <laughs> Jeff Goldman's like, well, butterfly flapped his wings and Trump got elected. That's what these people are writing in office. Yeah, they're like, yeah, they can't get it together. It's like, hmm, that seems like they can, and that was your whole problem. Right, right. and they're judging. And now, but they're, it's funny, though, like this, this United Three, like, what are there, like 40 people showed up or something like that? Yeah. Like, from the reports. I mean, it's just, and, and you know, I mean, what a bunch of idiots. I, I don't know why, I perceive what happened last year. You got to be a special kind of hardcore dipshit to, to roll out there, knowing you're going to have all these protesters, all the media coverage, like, I don't know what you're thinking. These are people who must have already been fired or have just been released from prison from white skinhead gangs. I don't know who else is going to this thing this morning. But, yeah. <laughs> but here's the question, though. Is like, so we were talking about the Wiggers, and I look at this. Like they're a real group. <laughs> they're the next voting block that's going to be coming up. The 90s are coming back. I'm seeing people wearing blossom Sorry. hats and fucking overalls. Wiggers are coming back. Don't wait. Crushed velvet. Wiggers. Crushed velvet. <laughs> These are cuts. I just love what we talk about. We're like stalker moms, NASCAR dads, guys who think they're not white. Kids, <laughs> the skids overalls that were plaid. Um, I lost my train of thought. Okay, oh, so here's the point. So these people, though, they got, they got out there, right? They marched. They uh, got beaten up. They got exposed. They, all sorts of horrible things happened to them. Now 40 people come out. And, you know, I say, okay, partially this is going to be attributed to they don't want to get doxxed. They don't want, you know, they, they see all the counter protesting and violence. So a lot of people are going to get driven away by that. But on the other hand, too, I think that this is why free speech, again, is vital. Because if you give people this platform, you say, hey, get out there, 
tell people all about your white supremacist views and we'll see how dumb it is. And I think a lot of people saw like the United the Right, the first rally. I don't think a lot of those people necessarily knew what they were getting into. Yeah. You know, when they went, I think, I don't think, I don't think everybody was a white supremacist. I think they probably showed up and they're like, oh, oh shit. And then they're like surrounded by people that are like, oh, double shit. This is a fucking shit Oreo I'm in. And now this year, you know, you're seeing uh, people are like, I didn't sign up for this crap. I'm not a white supremacist. I don't want to be associated with white supremacists. So I'm not going to this shit anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, free speech is a, is kind of a, I mean, that's what it's there for. That's, that's one of the main factors. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's totally true. And it's, uh, you know, the marketplace of ideas that's what people mm-hmm. always talk about. Yeah. What's weird about it is I think they probably, the people who went last year, they probably had never even gone to anything before. They yeah, probably true. never really felt like they had any reason to need to go to anything like that. And uh, yeah, it's pretty easy to be keyboard warrior. It's hard to go out there and protest. Um, as far as it protests to do anything, I'm not sure. But I don't really like this whole attitude that people have where they say like, oh, the Tea Party protests. Like they were so, most of the media was so um, dismissive of that. Yeah. And making fun of them and only showing the biggest wackadoos. And, oh, yeah. and, and cutting out the black people in the crowds, the Tea Party rallies and stuff like that to make it seem yeah. like rally only kind of thing yeah and then uh yeah same thing with the with the republican convention and everything yeah. and they really they really did kind of a butchering of this situation to make it seem like these people were a joke yeah and um yeah the nazis also thought hitler was a joke for, i mean uh, most german people also thought that hitler was a joke for yeah. a long time and a lot of leaders so thinking of anyone as a joke even if they are a bit silly is not always really smart for anyone and uh it's funny how we've kind of turned from oh these people are wackos to oh, they're really dangerous right and i think a lot of people were not prepared to be part of the dangerous group and they didn't want to be in the silly group and they didn't want to be in the dangerous group right, yeah. like the only two options are you're ridiculous or you're a murderer yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, really, wow. yeah you're a nazi you know and well i think a lot of things are very extreme <laughs> Well, let me ask you this. Like, I mean, I was a big Ron Paul supporter. And then we thought that would roll over, you know, all the Ron Paul people, we thought that they would roll over and they were just libertarians, right? We were wrong. They were just, you know, there's there's a certain segment of people who are just in their nature uh, counterculturalists or they just want to be on whoever's on the outside that's causing the stir. Yeah, they want to be an underdog. They want to just be in there going, uh, fuck you. And I think that was a lot of people that, went from Ron Paul and probably went to Trump that might've gone to this, the first rally. But then once Trump's in there, once the, the euphoria of, Hey, you know, fuck the system. We got in there, wears off. Then they go, Oh, you know what? I'm not really that into that. I'm not, I'm not, maybe they're Antifa now. (laughs) Maybe they're um, Alexandria Cortez Ocasio people now, because she's now the outside anti-establishment kid. Underdog. Yeah. 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 There are people who just don't like people. They just don't like the. They don't like the default answer. They don't. Or I think with right with the polls in general, to me, it's more of an anti-war issue than anything else. Yeah, well, that's very true. Anti-war, anti-federal reserve. Yeah, yeah, but the war stuff at that time was, I think, what was most attractive to people. That people yeah. were very anti-war, and they were really happy to see that people on the right were not warmongers the mm-hmm. way that they had always assumed that uh, everyone on the right was a warmonger. Everyone wanted to have unlimited war in the Middle East forever. And yeah. they were all motivated by a desire to see Israel complete. Way through <laughs> rivers of blood and intestines. Aren't we all yeah. on some level? Yeah. yeah. Or they, yeah. Or they were apocalyptic pro-Israel. Kind yeah. Of yeah. Psychotic, you know, and that's just, that, that just wasn't the case. There are plenty of people on the right who are very anti-war. Um, mm-hmm. 
they're very anti big government and oh, yeah. war is a big government institution. Oh, so, yeah, so, the but that was also, I think, a good flashpoint to show how ignorant people were of the right, which is to say that they assume that everyone on that side loves war and loves Jesus and is the same. And it's yeah. like, ooh, that's kind of a disgusting stereotype that oh, you yeah. have. Well, especially because uh, you know, <laughs> when we've seen both sides, as, as far as government entities anyway, seem yeah. to be in love with war. And, you know, and, and yeah. so quickly, you know, people on both sides forget when they're candidates in office – all these people that were on the right that were anti-war when the Pauls were in office, now they have Trump's in there, and I, I where are they? And on the left, yeah. where are the anti-war people now as well? You know, they were when Obama was in office, they where was the anti-war? But now Trump's in there. I'm still this is one thing that bugs me about people's criticism of Trump. They criticize him about the dumbest shit. And it's like, how about the fact that he wants to suspend the you know, in the NDAA, Congress tried to put limits on what executive power could do in regards to the yeah. war in Yemen. He says he's going to ignore it. How about we talk about that? How about we talk about yeah. murdering children in Yemen by virtue of the Saudis? Nobody's talking about war anymore. No. It's all just no. it, it, Trump's mistress, and it's like, who what? <laughs> talking about ma- microaggressions, talk about macroaggressions. Yeah, exactly. a bomb in your house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bomb through your roof is going to make a lot more terrorists. Than, uh, than saying a, a wrong word on a college campus and, and pissing off something. Yeah. Uh, it's just, plus, the make the plus the more you make it seem like this is how you uh, annoy people or yeah. parents. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. here, let me ask you this question: Do you Thank think you. Uh, that what we saw at the most recent Unite the Right rally is actually probably a better snapshot of the level of white supremacy that actually exists in America? No, I think Twitter is a good example of actually how much white supremacy exists in America. Okay. Well, do tell. Um, no, I think it is. Um, I don't know. It's a good, it's such a, to me, it's like throwing the label on someone of white supremacist. It's like, that's very heavy. No. Oh, without a doubt. Well, I'm saying legitimate. Let's say not, not to label anybody. Um, as far as a legitimate assessment of people that would self-categorize as like, I am a member of Stormfront. Oh, did I lose you? Oh, shoot, I lost. I lost my Laura. I'm going to pause this. Okay, all right, we're back. So we lost Laura for a second, but she's back on now. So yeah, we're talking about Unite the Right. So okay, your thoughts on the rally and the, and the like I said, the, the, uh, is this the real snapshot of like white supremacists? The real white supremacists as would self-identify these 40 nerds that are coming up? No, no. I don't think real white supremacists go to rallies. I don't think they do that. They're hiding, hiding in the interwebs. No, hiding in line, uh, not hiding. See, that sounds weird to be like, oh, they're hiding. It's like, no, I mean, no one really wants, there are people who love to get into arguments online. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, what they really want to do is talk to people who think like them, mm-hmm. for the most part, and occasionally dip their toe into arguments that make them feel like they can really shove it to someone. So, I mean, to say that they're hiding online, it's like, I would go to a Reddit group to talk to people about skincare products. Am I hiding? Right, right. Well, am I hiding because I'm not going to every group and talking about skincare? Yeah, yeah. No, would I go to a rally to talk about skincare products? No. Wouldn't you? Let's be honest with ourselves. Are there my wife would? Are there free samples? <laughs> so it's it's funny to me to be like, oh, they're hiding what they're doing. Like they're like in a basement. They're like, don't come down, mom. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's like that. I don't think it's like that at all. I think it's just. Um, something that gives them a sense of direction in life, not direction as much as a sense of the way well, it seems, the world it seems is like so, Yeah, well, it seems like so many times these, 
Well, it seems like somebody, it's like, it comes from wanting to blame somebody, you know, for, for almost whatever, uh, psychosis is developed, be it white supremacy, you're, you're blaming blacks and Jews and whatever else because of your lot in life, be it, um, you know, conservatives blaming, uh, Mexicans for stealing their jobs, be it the left blaming white people for, uh, oppressing, you know, it's whatever, you know, oppressing every other group of people for all of humanity. Well, insert, insert your mad lib now. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and God, for, you know, and, and you're evil no matter what, but it's like a Mad Libs where you pop in your, your race group and oppression. And, and it's, that's like, it's the fear factor. It's the frustration factor. It's the, uh, I guess the, the, you know, the ego factor in a way wherein it's hard to accept that maybe you just fucked up, you know? So, and I think that's like the, the main centric factor to so many of the, the yeah. movements we see. Yeah. I think people are sick of, um, for I think people who are attracted to it, like why are they attracted to it? Mm-hmm. I think it's it's pretty obvious why. I think that's what I think a lot of people don't realize is that no one wants to apologize. Right. <laughs> it's not a fun position to be in, and especially no one wants to apologize for stuff they didn't do. Yeah. So we're effectively, as a culture, seemingly asking a group of people to apologize for stuff they did. Hundreds do. of years in the past, right? Yeah. <sighs> Which might be the right thing. to but well i'll hey, look i'll happily apologize but i don't want to i won't apologize uh by virtue of you know sacrificing my life my liberty my prosperity as you know so many people seem to want white people to do you know yeah i mean it is to say i mean by apologize i mean to live their life like they are mm-hmm. um making up for something or have to penance whatever it is mm-hmm. i grew up catholic your <laughs> <So, laughs> rosary <laughs> confession and penance and all those things. I think if people want to, if people want Americans in 2018 who have access to the internet to be repentant, mm-hmm. to be uh, solitary and to be quiet and humble and to exalt other people that aren't them because of ancestral mistakes, it's very, yeah. it's expecting a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's not going to happen. And uh, that's thinking too much of people, I think. And um, I think, the more people insist that people be well-behaved and stick to a script when it comes to issues of race or sex, I think the more more people are going to say, no, I don't want to do that. No. Well, I have unlimited access to information and options mm-hmm. and technology and forms of expression. So it's bizarre that the more ways you have to express yourself, apparently the less words you can express yourself with, <laughs> or the less thoughts or opinions are socially acceptable. And yep. it's like, you have very few, a million ways to say it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? It's almost, in a way, it makes you think about, um, you know, Japanese society or, or Germans, for example, you know, where you've got, in Japanese society, it's all very buttoned up. It's very regimented what you can and can't say in public, how your persona is, what you, you know, and it's, uh, not to save face. It's yeah. Yeah. For being, um, dishonored, shamed and dishonored. And in a way we're moving towards that in a social sense in America, where, like you're saying, there's only certain things you can say, certain words you can use, certain, uh, ideas you can talk about in public. And what happens, you know, in Japan, for example, you see this crazy uh, obsession with, you know, children, anime cartoon sex and women's panties and all sorts of it comes out in weird ways is what i'm saying and in american society you're going to see the same type of thing happen not necessarily in anime porn but you're going to see the same thing happen where if you're forcing people to keep their thoughts and their their most you know 
their true feelings bottled up in private. They're going to express themselves in different ways, be it violence, be it these internet groups, be it uh, white supremacist marches, be it whatever else. So it's going to find a way to get out. And it's just, you know, and it's probably not going to be in the most healthy fashion. Yeah. And I think what's also coming out is that I think more and more young people you see in the polls that more and more young people are distrustful of the narrative of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're distrustful yeah. of the whole, they're more into flat earth than they have been ever before. All these I things. Know, what the fuck is up with flat earth? <laughs> but it's, sort of flat earth, it's the flat earth thing and the Holocaust denial and a bunch of other things. And it's things yeah. that we all honestly very much took for, get, took for granted that were just fundamentally right. true. We all accept this. But the more we push that, the more young people are going to say, why? Or why do we accept this? Why is this the truth? Or they're going to say, I'm not going to think like this. So I think the more we push a very hard to find, narrow, um, right or wrong, black and white, binary view of people's behaviors, Mm -hmm. you're going to have a lot more people who want to be rebellious. Yeah, without a doubt form an identity kids are going to find racism even funnier yeah yeah i agree completely they're gonna they're gonna want to call each other the n-word and the f-word more than ever in the r-word or whatever it is it's not going to be so much well-meaning you know not well when i say well-meaning i mean people do things genuinely because they don't know that it's bad there's gonna be a lot less things where you run into this they oh they said the wrong thing but they didn't realize it's going to be a lot more people pointedly for the point of shock and humor using Mm -hmm. what you end up with yeah, I mean, and, and it's true. Like, in, in uh, regards to using this humor, hey, go for it. I mean, even a shock, hey, yeah, go for it. But uh, I do agree with you that you, yeah, the more you try to hardline anything, the more you're going to have people rebelling. Which I guess, in, in a way, it, <laughs> I'm trying to think what's the best way to get to our end result. Obviously, I'm fighting against censorship and for free speech, but hell, maybe maybe just for two weeks, we need to have you know, kind of like the. Um, the purge, they have that, you know, it's a couple of days of killing everybody. Maybe we have two days of crackdown on free speech to let everybody know, like, hey, this is going to be pretty fucked. Let everybody get their, their jollies in being like, oh, we need to rebel pretty hard. Maybe that's the cure. That's what will finally cure America of its free, uh, its worries yeah. about free speech. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, uh, well, I think they need to, what, what I think with young people, especially, is they need to understand what free speech censorship really is mm-hmm. and uh, be taught examples from, you know, books like The Joke and stuff like that and Milan Kundera and they need to you know read a lot of the stuff that people wrote who were living in Eastern Europe who yep. were yeah, exactly right. <laughs> they literally get, they get really be murdered for what they're yeah writing. you really were yeah. yeah yeah well let's let's finish up with one uh it's a little bit lighter but um well lighter depending on your opinion the yeah. last conversation but yeah. Peter Strzok or Strzok or however you say his name I still don't Strzok. know Strzok <laughs> It's like he's not saved by the bell. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Peter Strzak was finally canned by the FBI, and uh, I don't have you been following the saga of of his trials. Did you see his his video of testimony? I didn't see the video, but I was reading about him. Did you see the memes? (laughs) It's crazy memes. He got physically escorted out, which is like. Yeah, really? Do they really need to do that? It's so petty. It's so Trump. Whenever you see something like that, where he's like, squat him out, get him out of here. He's trash. He's um, got him. Throw him on the street. I want to get his children, his children's children. (laughs) You know, it's like very mob, like, Good, okay. is, well, he is a, I mean, shit, yeah. he's an Atlantic City yeah. uh, mobster, essentially. He's not president. But, yeah. Yeah. But, but, but what do you think? Yeah. I, I, for you, I, where, where's your opinion on the Peter Strzok thing? Because I know for, I have my opinion that I think it's a 
I think he's definitely biased. I'm, I'm happy he was fired. Uh, yeah, he's biased. Yeah, he's yeah. biased. Um, I don't know what the protocol is for firing FBI agents. Right. Well, they said that's a that's <laughs> the weird, thing. weird to say. I they, don't know what you no, get they fired. They said it was. They said it was a, a a different protocol than usual, and I'm like, well, what's the protocol? Like, how, yeah. how much do you have to fuck up then as an FBI yeah. to do it? And, and then how many investigations? And what is right. the fuck? Is it to say something like that, yeah, or is it to kill the wrong person? Is it to Hey, well, we know. Well, we know for a fact. One thing you don't want to do is uncover existence of aliens, so they put you in the basement like Fox Mulder. Yeah, that's bad. So yeah. that's uh, yeah. One, but even they couldn't well, fire. Sometimes him. it's like they abducted your sister, and then they wanted to put a <laughs> virus and things, and there were bees and you know crazy shit. Um, but with this guy, clearly biased, and it's strange to me because I like, why did he feel so emboldened to right. go on about it that way? Like he talked about it a lot. In yeah. work. And it was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I know, like, his defense of the trial, or the trial, the, the questioning was so bizarre, you know, just he's like, yeah. it's like, oh, it's just, you know, saying we, the American people, was like, what? And then it's, yeah, it was all very odd. He was very smug, and, and you just, it was shocking how. Was entitled. he the only person? And then also, it's like, is he the only person? Is he, who is he talking about this with? It's, it's just like, yeah, Peter, you're right. Good work. <laughs> what? Like, is he just getting? I imagine he's just like getting coffee in the morning. He's like, "Hi, we're gonna take him down. <laughs> we're gonna take him down, guys. Cheers! All right, I'll see y'all at foosball yeah. later, about three p.m. in the break room. Hi, guys. Fuck Trump. Good morning. How's the internet working? Is the printer jam? Fuck Peter, Trump. Uh, your your official FBI email cannot be fuck Trump. <laughs> yeah, that just it's gonna help everybody. Yeah, it just the whole thing is bizarre. And now, I but here, just keep it up here. Just keep it up here. People. Well, I mean, I guess he was te- he was texting with his uh, mistress. Which is, I guess he's like, look, I'm already having a secret affair. What, you know, this is as secret as it gets. I'm on a protected FBI phone, which is so dumb. I mean, look, I know a buddy who got fired for emailing in code about weed on a work computer. You know, if you're the FBI, maybe you should be texting fuck Trump during an investigation on your work phone. Just me. Yeah, on your work phone. I mean, come on, man. Get a burner. It's baffling. Get a, get a Tamaguchi uh, and text on that. But it is kind of amazing, people who work in government, though, how protected they feel in their jobs. Oh, yeah. They won't get fired. <laughs> yeah. Well, and how much they'll stand up for each other. It's like this, you know, you look at police yeah. brutality so often, and you've got, okay, you have the police investigating the police. Like, just here in L.A., yeah. or maybe it was Orange County, yeah. they just had to hire, or they just appointed a very special position wherein now the police can't investigate their own cause of death. Or they, the coroner. There's a, an outside coroner is what it was. Uh, because the police yeah. department, the sheriff, would determine what caused the death. And mm-hmm. so they could just make up any sort of bullshit to cover their own asses. Yeah, so suicide. suicide. <laughs> yeah, right? Suicide again. Two shots suicide. in the head. <laughs> it was suicide. <laughs> JFK was suicide. We all saw it. <laughs> <laughs> he had a full Tommy gun in the back. Yeah. yeah what? Uh, you know, you see the same shit with the FBI, just protecting themselves. So I'm surprised. I, I mean, I was shocked. I, I really thought he was going to just be you know, moved around. And then now, guaranteed, though, we'll see him as a CNN correspondent. I bet you $1,000. Yeah, he seems to have a big ego. Um, mm-hmm. The interesting thing, yeah, it's like if you go to the DMV and you think those people act like they don't give a shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all over. That's not just that office, baby. No. That's everyone in the government. It's just like... Yeah, I got a job. Like there are some people, you know, I work in nonprofits and stuff, and there are people who work associated with the government who have worked very hard to get to that point, and they've done a ton of schooling to get low paid. Right, yeah. 
But um, for the most part, people who worked in government were very pro-government and they wanted to keep Hillary's on a similar track and everything. Yeah, yeah, that floors me how he felt so, like he just thought he was, you know, a cowboy. He was a cowboy. He was acting like a cowboy. Like not to sound like a 1970s commish, you know, like they're a cowboy. But (laughs) pretty much that. He thinks he's Batman. He thinks he's a cowboy. I'm going to stop this. He's untouchable. He's he's Christian Slater, the untouchable. And he does look like Christian Slater. He's got that weird evil item. But yeah, he's Christian Slater in fucking cuffs. You know, he's, yeah, you know, he plays by his own rules. I mean, he was high up in the FBI. I mean, he, he literally probably felt as though they could manipulate whatever they needed to manipulate, that you know, the FBI would protect what was able to come out because the FBI censors its own documents, even those released through uh, the, the Freedom of Information Act. They censor out the stuff that makes them look bad. Of course, so, like that parrot story with John Lennon. Ever heard about that one? No, no. Tell, tell me about this. This is a good way to wrap the episode. Tell me about the parrot with John Lennon. Story. Oh, I love the parrot story. <laughs> we'll end on this glorious tale. Yeah, I was just going to laugh. Yeah, because the FBI's never been a political office before. It's never been <laughs> yeah. manipulated by any sort of president to do its bidding, right? Well, um, never. It's not like they went after Martin Luther King or his affair or anything. Never. No. Yeah. Um, so the FBI. You know, through the Freedom of Information Act, a lot of documents came out in the 90s and everything like that. And one of the things that came out was John Lennon's FBI file because Lennon started getting covered after 1971 mm. uh, because he started doing anti-war protests and everything like that. And Nixon was going for re-election in 72, and Nixon never wanted to have to really run for office again. because He, right. he was like you in acting. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I can't appeal to the American people, slop, sweat, I'm not <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all get it. And um, so... In the files that came out, the ACLU had to battle with the FBI for about 10 years to get all of Lennon's files uncovered because there was big sections of it that were redacted or, yeah. or they wouldn't release. One of the things within them that they wouldn't let out for about 10 years after legal court was the parrot story, which was Lennon was in a party at the East Village in the mid-70s, and they had an FBI informant who was at the party who reported that the host at the party owned a parrot who every few minutes in conversation would say, right on! That that was their breaking news. Right like, why the fuck would they right attack that? <laughs> because they didn't want to reveal that they were so stupid that they were paying someone routinely to give them stories about <laughs> in, in an apartment with a parrot that said "right on." <laughs> I love it. Tax dollars at work. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. How much? Right on. That's amazing. Well, I would love that job, though, wouldn't you? I, yeah, it could be amazing. I, I mean, you get to hang around John Lennon I was, and get paid for it and talk to the FBI. I was really hoping that the parrot story was going to be that the FBI swapped out someone's parrot and then trained it to repeat what it heard. So it would come back and it would be like, let's make everybody communists. You know, like that's how they got their fucking intel from John Lennon. I'm just imagining like a listening device, like a giant speaker that's dressed up to look like a parrot really shittily. <laughs> it's a shoebox with a beak. Yeah. yeah, they're like, just talk to it. <laughs> It'll be fine. It's, it's, it's or they're like, John Lennon's talking to parrot. <laughs> that's a parrot story. Cheers about that parrot story. Just let fuck the parrot. This is a great idea. This should be a web series just called The Parrot Story. And we could have a million different variations on John Lennon doing The Parrot Story. Yeah, The Parrot Story, the new web series on NPR. All right. Well, yeah, Laura, I'm going to wrap it up here. I I would like you to tell everybody where they can find you, where they can see you, where they can hear you, all that stuff. So if you want to get in contact with me, I would say follow my Twitter. I'm on uh, Crawford Comic. 
And then you can find my Instagram under the same thing. Or if you search Laura Crawford Company, I'm all over the internet. I have an IMDb page. I just found out. Boom, I saw that today. Right? <laughs> I know. I just found out. I just saw it today. So, uh, yeah, you can find me on their Instagram, Laura Crawford Comedy. So, all kinds of great stuff coming out. I post all my shows there. So, if you're in the Southern California area, mm-hmm. you like live comedy. There you go. That's right. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been great chatting with you uh, again. I enjoyed our first conversation. I very much enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, definitely. <laughs> so guys out there, thank you for listening. I want to remind you to listen to our Monday show with Mark Claire with his in-depth interviews with leaders of the libertarian movement. We also are doing a special show now Tuesdays with 10 minute interviews with people that are in libertarian libertarian candidates running in campaigns, running in different states nationwide. You can listen to those every Tuesday now. I'm Wednesdays and John Odermatt on Fridays with Felony Friday examining the ironically named justice system and exposing the dark underbelly of all that goes on within. So, guys, from me, Brian McWilliams, from Laura Crawford, from the Lions of Liberty, and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to liberty.